and welcome to episode number 17 of Unrelated Things. This is the podcast where I talk about things that interest or irritate me that I've seen online or heard about. You can find out more about Unrelated Things or you can make a donation at unrelatedthings.net. You can follow the dollar sign on that website to find our affiliate links where you can support Unrelated Things by buying things that are unrelated such as batteries, trampoline parts, flowers, music, or anything from Amazon.com. You can provide feedback at unrelatedthings at gmail.com, and you can follow Unrelated Things on Twitter or on Facebook. On to the postulation and pontification. No top pick for this episode, but I like that uh, little bumper music kind of kicks the show off. So there we go. This is definitely not my top pick. There are really a lot of different places where you don't want to be when your car catches on fire. Uh, Number one being inside the car. But if you happen to be inside the car when it catches on fire, there's a lot of places you wouldn't want to be. You wouldn't want to be on a bridge. You wouldn't want to be in the middle of the highway. Uh, Maybe middle of an empty parking lot is probably the best place to be. There is a worse place to be when your car catches on fire, as one family found out recently. Helen Clements was driving through Longleaf Safari Park in Wiltshire, England, with her two children, nine-year-old George and 12-year-old Charlie, when smoke began pouring out of their vehicle. I thought the car had overheated. Then, basically, we thought, no, that's not steam. That's actually smoke, she told the BBC. It was getting thicker and thicker and obviously coming into us. And then, obviously, we saw flames. The part of the safari park that uh, Mrs. Clements was in when her car caught on fire was the lion enclosure. Twelve lions live in the enclosure where the car caught fire. The animals were about 100 yards away from the car at the time. George fled the vehicle immediately, and park rangers began running towards the family to rescue them from the enclosure while yelling at them to stay in the burning car. Hmm, do you get out of the car because you're on fire? Clement said, according to the Belfast Telegraph. They're telling you to get back in the car. Rangers were able to pull up in another vehicle and rescue the family, and none of the family members or the lions were injured. Are you kidding me? Definitely not kidding. In Florida, where everything happens that is odd and newsworthy, a young girl became Robin Hood when she climbed inside one of those claw machines and started handing out 
the prize is. This story was from Uprox, U-P-R-O-X-X dot com. We already know that despite looking like endless droves of wonderful treasure that children of all ages simply must get their hands on, claw machines are diabolical contraptions of pure evil put here on earth by Satan himself. For starters, they're basically rigged mechanical scams that force children to beg their parents for quarters so they can pump those little slots full of endless currency with the blind hopes of receiving something worthwhile for their efforts. Fortunately, one young girl in Fort Lauderdale has declared war on the evil empire of claw machines as she was spotted inside a machine and handing out toys to all of the children around her. While we don't necessarily condone criminal efforts, even by adorable kids, if she happens to see a bottle of Pappy in there, I'll reward her handsomely for it, writes Ashley Uprocks from Uprocks.com. And that's just the way it is. That is just the way it is. We need more Robin Hoods in the world. And on a side note, I used to fancy myself pretty skilled at the claw machine. The real trick if you want to win more often than average is, unfortunately, you cannot go for the item that you want. You have to really be selective and go for the item that's on top of the stack and not trapped in underneath something else. You will almost never get something that is tucked in under another item. So you always have to look for that item that is loose and up on top of the stack, whether it's something that you really want or something that you'll take because it's accessible. This story from Ars Technica by John Brodkin. Verizon doesn't want to deploy high-speed wired broadband service to all New Jersey residents, despite receiving financial perks from the state for the past 20 years in exchange for building a statewide network. To make sure it doesn't have to complete the build-out to all of New Jersey's 8.9 million residents, Verizon led an AstroTurf campaign that flooded the State Board of Public Utilities with hundreds of identical emails purporting to support Verizon's case. One person who was listed as having written one of these emails told ours that he didn't submit anything, and if he did, quote, I would have slammed them. A report in Stop the Cap this month found several other Verizon, quote, supporters who had no idea emails were submitted under their names. This tactic by Verizon is very, very common by corporations that are facing something that is either unpopular or has lukewarm uh, popularity. They set up these fake institutions and fake organizations that purport to support the objective of the corporation. And that doesn't mean none of the people that end up participating don't support. None don't. That's not exactly the right way to phrase that. doesn't mean that none of the people who support those organizations disagree with the aims of those organizations. But 
the organizations would not have generally grown up on their own as a real grassroots organizations do. Uh, when I was living up in New Hampshire, no, it was it? Yeah, it was when I was living in New Hampshire, um, a major energy company was planning to build a big power plant in our town and a bunch of people in the neighborhood disagreed with it and formed a grassroots organization to examine the plan and put out information regarding the plan and, and essentially fight against the location of the power plant. And the power plant company then backed a quote-unquote community organization, which named themselves very similarly to the real grassroots neighborhood uh, organization to put out their own um, information and make it appear that they had very widespread support among the citizens. And they did have some support because their promises they made were, were pretty compelling. But it was, in the end, really a corporate-funded plan, as Verizon is doing in New Jersey. The New Jersey, which is the state that I have been transplanted myself into, um, had an agreement 20 years ago with Verizon to give them huge breaks um, from state fees, etc., to roll out high-speed internet service to every single resident in the state, which they agreed to, and since that time have utterly failed to do. They've rolled it out in some places to some citizens, and perhaps it's more widespread here than it is in many other locations, but they have fallen way short of their promise to reach every resident in the state, and they have fought uh, very hard to get out of that deal for the past couple years and actually have made pretty good progress in getting out of that deal. Hopefully the state legislature will not buckle and let Verizon out of that deal unless they want to pay back every cent of the benefits that they've made in signing those deals in the first place. One of the biggest yeah. deals ever in the history of ever. From the Huffington Post by Simon McCormick. A 23-year-old Daniel Athens of El Paso, Texas, was sentenced to 18 months in state prison in order to pay $4,000 in restitution after he admitted to criminal mischief, according to The Smoking Gun. The sentence was part of a plea deal reached after an April 2012 incident in which he was caught by an Alamo Ranger in a chained-off area not open to the public, zipping up after urinating on the Alamo. But lest you think this is a curious sentence, rest assured, American justice may be tough, but it is also evenly applied. Unless you are the great-grandson of a chemical baron who was convicted of raping your three-year-old daughter, or if you're the wealthy drunk driver of a car that killed four people, or an employee of a bank that helped violent drug cartels launder millions of dollars, if you're any of those people, you won't spend a day in jail. But if you help facilitate the further erosion of a national monument, you'll spend more than a year behind bars paying for your crime. Oh, boy, howdy. From Mary Beth Quirk on Consumerist.com. 
A Brooklyn woman flew her mother up to the city using her airline miles one weekend while she was away so that her mom could help out by taking care of her dog. There were also three cars she was tasked with moving while the group of friends was away. The woman's Fiat, a CRV, and a green Honda. As it turns out, there is more than one green Honda in Brooklyn, and apparently any old Honda key will work in each of them. Something long rumored and true, at least in this case. When the woman and her pals returned, the green Honda's owner couldn't find her vehicle. Instead, a green Honda that was not hers was in its spot. The daughter of the woman then started posting signs around the neighborhood to find the car's owner. The sign read, Is this your car or do you know whose it is? Looking for the owner who potentially wears a lot of necklaces and enjoys San Pellegrino sodas. I didn't steal your car, but I think my mom may have. It's a long story. I'll explain. But your car is safe and sound. Police did later confirm that the car was in fact reported stolen on the day the mother moved it, and an officer was sent to recover it and try to get in touch with its owner. But let's kind of get all that fun, quirky stuff out of there. Oklahoma Governor Mary Fallon signed a bill prohibiting cities across the state of Oklahoma from establishing mandatory minimum wage and employee benefits including vacation or sick leave days. Advocates of the new law contend that efforts to increase the minimum wage across various municipalities could potentially harm local business communities. Quote, This bill provides a level playing field for all municipalities in Oklahoma, State Rep. Randy Grau, a backer of the bill's House version, said on Monday, according to the Associated Press, quote, An artificial raise in the minimum wage could derail local economies in a matter of months. This is a fair measure for consumers, workers, and small business owners. And I really, I'm really interested on how Randy Grau phrased that. An artificial raise in the minimum wage. What would, what would be a, a natural raise in the minimum wage as opposed to being an artificial raise in the minimum wage? I fear that Mr. Grau just doesn't support any increase in the minimum wage whatsoever, which is fine and well, but should should be what his position is stated as, if, in ca- if indeed that is the case. Opponents of the measure view the move by Oklahoma Re- Republicans as a retaliation against an initiative underway in Oklahoma City, where organizers have been gathering signatures to raise the city's minimum wage from $7.25 an hour to $10.10, in line with a federal minimum wage proposal. I don't even know where to start. From Huffington Post by Kate Shepard. Methane emissions from gas wells up to 1,000 times higher than federal estimate. The Environmental Protection Agency is significantly underestimating the amount of methane that natural gas drilling operations emit, according to a new study published this week in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. The research, which has 13 co-authors from several academic and research institutions, used an aircraft to monitor emissions 
at several drilling sites in the southwestern Pennsylvania in June 2012. Their evaluation found that methane emission at the sites were 100 to 1,000 times greater than the EPA's estimate of how much methane the sites emit per second. I think you just nailed it. Apple has a new patent granted by the U.S. Patent Trademark Office, and it just determines, no, it describes a method for determining a user's position when they're indoors using existing Wi-Fi infrastructure instead of requiring newer tech and hardware installations to support it, something like iBeacons. The system also incorporates GPS and appears to describe tech similar to that that Apple acquired when it bought Wi-Fi Slam, a company that specialized in indoor positioning back in March of last year. The system described by Apple in the patent uses a location database similar to the ones it uses to help supplement outdoor location services on the current iOS devices, but with a store of spots within buildings to draw from for more specific information. It could even work with gadgets that don't have GPS built in by using the location information of devices that do to tell the system where the other devices connected to the same Wi-Fi access point likely are. So, interesting patent. This is already technology that companies are deploying. This is technology that's definitely being being tested, that's existing, that's live, that's out there. So, I'm not sure what part of Apple's brand or Apple's method they actually got patented, but it's it's another step in a society in which if we are using certain types of devices, we're going to be tracked wherever we go at any time of day. And I have two thoughts about this that make me less concerned, or two, two opinions that would make me less concerned, if, in fact, the data is anonymized, then I have little concern about it, or if it is data that is not anonymized, then it has to be opt-in. So if if the methods and tactics are opt-in or anonymized, then it has limited impact for me. If, in fact, the methods used are opt out and not anonymized, then I have slightly, then I'm, I'm more concerned uh, about those and about, about tracking of individuals and what they're doing when you can identify who those individuals are. If they haven't told you, yes, feel free to collect this data, because, and typically because you're going to give me some sort of benefit from that, then I don't believe you should be collecting that data. Um, you know, there there are trade-offs, and everybody's going to have their own limits and own concerns regarding this type of tracking. And those should it, there should be ways to be found to respect those different limits that people want to to place on the tracking of where their devices are and what their devices are doing.
By saying stuff like this, you're setting yourself up. From bigstory.ap.org by Dennis Gray. As head of his village, Prajab Nawa Opas battled to save his community in central Thailand from the illegal dumping of toxic waste by filing petitions and leading villagers to block trucks carrying the stuff until a gunman in broad daylight fired four shots into him. A year later, his three alleged killers, including a senior government official, are on trial for murder. The dumping has been halted, and villagers are erecting a statue to their slain hero. But the prosecution of Prajab's murder, murderer is a rare exception. A survey released recently, the first comprehensive one of its kind, says that only 10 killers of 908 environmental activists slain around the world over the past decade have been convicted. Three times as many people died in 2012 than the 10 years previously, with the death rate rising in the past four years to an average of two activists a week, according to the non-governmental group Global Witness. Deaths in 2013 are likely to be higher than the 95 that had been documented. The victims have ranged from 70-year-old farmer Jesus Sebastian Ortiz, one of several people in the Mexican town of Charan, killed in 2012 while opposing illegal logging, to the machine-gunning by Philippine armed forces of indigenous anti-mining activist Juvi Capion and her two sons the same year. Brazil, the report says, is the world's most dangerous place for activists, with 448 deaths between 2002 and 2013, followed by 109 in Honduras and Peru with 58. In Asia, the Philippines is the deadliest with 67, followed by Thailand at 16. Quote, we believe this is the most comprehensive global database on killings of environmental and land defenders in existence, said Oliver Courtney, senior campaigner at Global Witness. It paints a deeply alarming picture, but it's very likely this is just the tip of the iceberg because information is very hard to find and verify. Far too little attention is being paid to this problem at the global level. It's a sign of the end times. Speaking of fake astroturf grassroots campaigns, TurboTax maker linked to, quote, grassroots campaign against free, simple tax filing. And I use TurboTax, so this uh, particular story was even a little bit more interesting to me than it may have otherwise been. Oh, uh, and let's see, where is this from? ProPublica.org by Liz Day. Over the last year, a rabbi, a state NAACP official, a small-town mayor, and other community leaders wrote op-eds and letters to Congress with remarkably similar language on a remarkably obscure topic. Each railed against a long-standing proposal that would give taxpayers the option to use pre-filled tax returns. They warned that the program would be a conflict of interest for the IRS 
and would especially hurt low-income people who wouldn't have the resources to fight inaccurate returns. Rabbi Elliot Dorf wrote in a Jewish journal op-ed that, quote, that he, quote, shudders at the impact this program will have on the most vulnerable people in American society. It's alarming and offensive that the IRS would target the most vulnerable Americans, two other letters said. The concept known as return-free filing is a government experiment, quote-unquote, that would mean higher taxes for the poor, two op-eds argued. The letters and op-eds didn't mention that, as ProPublica laid out last year, return-free filing might allow tens of millions of Americans to file their taxes for free and in minutes, or that, under proposals authored by several federal lawmakers, it would be voluntary, using information the government already receives from banks and employers, and that taxpayers could adjust, or that the concept has been endorsed by Presidents Obama and Reagan and is already a reality in some parts of Europe. Anything that would simplify the tax returns, make it easier for everyone to fill out their taxes every year, which can be enormously confusing and challenging, um, is, is good in my book. And something that does it and does it for free, there, it, it's, it's ridiculous that people, that the, the average person um, should need to pay to file their tax returns in a given year. Back to the story. So where did the letters and op-eds come from? Here's one clue. Rabbi Dorf says he was approached by a former student who sent him details and asked him to write an op-ed alerting the Jewish community to the threat. What the person did not tell him is that she now works for a PR and lobbying firm with connections to Intuit, the maker of best-selling tax software TurboTax. I wish she would have told me that, Dorf told ProPublica. The website of the firm, JCI Worldwide, had listed Intuit among its clients but removed it after ProPublica contacted them. The individual said Intuit had been listed by mistake but added that the firm does work for the Computer and Communications Industry Association, a trade group of which Intuit is a member. So another, another example of a big company putting its dollars to work in manipulating public opinion by convincing, and in this case, convincing without fully honestly disclosing who was behind the request, um, individuals to, to support the corporate line and support the goals of the corporation in a way that, in my opinion, in this specific case, really harms the, the public and the ability of the public to get some significant benefits from proposed legislation to simplify tax filing. Let's get deeper into the conversation. From abcnews.go.com by Colleen Curry. 48 earthquakes have rattled the ground in Oklahoma in the past week. And this is a story that's back from April. 
according to the U.S. Geological Survey, Oklahoma has recorded 148 earthquakes of at least 2.5 magnitude in the past 30 days. So in a 30-day span in Oklahoma earlier this year, 148 earthquakes of at least a 2.5 magnitude. The numbers have made it one of the shakiest states in the United States. Quote, certainly there's been a big change in the amount of earthquakes and people are feeling them, said Daniel, said Daniel Lau Davila, assistant professor of geology at Oklahoma State University. I am in my office and every day or two I feel a brief shaking. These are small, magnitude 2 or magnitude 3, but you can feel them. There really is a hot spot right now in Oklahoma, he said. Lau Davila said that before 2008, Oklahoma used to have on average three earthquakes per year that registered a magnitude 3 or higher. Since 2008, they've registered hundreds per year, he said. That's more than their neighbors in Kansas, but less than, say, California or Alaska, which sit on active fault lines. The likeliest reason for this huge increase in earthquakes felt in Oklahoma is the fracking used in oil and gas exploration and drilling and extraction. Um, the evidence is really incredible that what the oil and gas exploration and extraction is doing has been causing all of these additional earthquakes to occur. I'm not kidding you. From HuffingtonPost.com, a Rio de Janeiro woman was getting interviewed about street crime by Brazil's RJTV when a man ran up and attempted to steal her necklace. In footage, in footage published by Globo TV on Wednesday. In the video, a reporter asks the woman if she is worried about crime in the city center just before an unidentified man pops into the frame and snatches her gold necklace. The apparent thief rips the necklace off, but the woman manages to hang on to her jewelry. The reporter briefly pursues the young hooligan, but fails to catch him. It is inane and terrible Apple has been granted a boatload of patents, including one for Push to Talk. Apple was awarded 46 new patents by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office recently. One stands out as com a compelling, albeit outdated, idea, according to Don Reisinger of CNET.com. Apple last year filed for a patent on Push to Talk technology, similar to what Nextel offered before being swallowed up by Sprint and subsequently shuttered. The patent, which was awarded on Tuesday, describes a method by which a device owner presses the corresponding button to initiate the conversation. That data is then transmitted over a cellular or standard broadband network, hits a push-to-talk server, and reaches its destination. The feature describes a walkie-talkie-like experience without any limit on distance. And now you're supposed to just go ahead and move on. From sfgate.com, this uh, story stood out to me in part 
because I grew up in a town right next door to the town here in in that town is North Reading, Massachusetts. Police in Massachusetts responding to reports of an intruder in a woman's home quickly quacked the case. I'm a little depressed here. I'm reading that. A North Reading woman called police Saturday from her upstairs bedroom to report that she heard loud banging noises downstairs and feared someone had broken into her home. Officers who responded found no sign of a break-in, but during a quick search of the home, police found a soot-covered wood duck. Police say it appears the duck got in through the chimney. An officer caught the duck and released it into a nearby pond. I've never heard dumber dialogue. <laughs> Xbox Entertainment Studios and the UK's Channel 4 are teaming up to create a new sci-fi show, Humans. Set to premiere in 2015, the series will be made up of eight 60-minute episodes and will be available to watch on Channel 4 in the UK and through Xbox in North America. It is not currently clear if UK Xbox owners will also be able to watch the show on their consoles. Based on the Swedish drama Real Humans, the English-language version will be written by Sam Vincent and Jonathan Brackley, whose credits include spooks. The synopsis reads, quote, Set in a parallel present where the latest must-have gadget for any busy family is a synth, a highly developed robotic servant that is so similar to a real human, it's transforming the way we live. When a rushed-off-his-feet suburban father of three buys a refurbished second-hand synth, he hopes it will relieve some domestic pressure and paper over the cracks of his marriage. But sharing their life with a machine has far-reaching and chilling consequences. For this synth, the cuckoo in the nest is harboring an extraordinary secret. So this sounds like it may be an interesting program, one that I would not mind watching. However, being restricted to the Xbox network in the U.S., if that is, in fact, the only way it's distributed here in the U.S., is going to be prohibitive, prohibitive to me actually watching it. So hopefully, while Xbox is a primary method delivery in the U.S., they will find some other outlets as well so they can get a broader audience. I'm going to move on now. From PadGadget.com, an Israeli tech startup claims to have the ability to charge mobile devices in 30 seconds. Although still a few years from being ready, it may be possible by 2016 to get your iPad ready for that long trip in under a minute. According to the Wall Street Journal, Tel Aviv-based tech development company StoreDot unveiled a prototype charger that can charge a mobile device from near zero to 100% in approximately 30 seconds. The company developed the prototype specifically for the Samsung Galaxy 4 and demonstrated the device at Microsoft's Think Next conference in Tel Aviv. StoreDot plans to make the charger for a variety of mobile devices. So some interesting new tech there uh, that would be really exciting to be able to charge devices in a very, very short amount of time. Our children will never know what that's like. 
well, our children will probably know what that's like, but maybe our children won't know what it's like to wait for hours for a device to charge. From sfgate.com, a malfunctioning ATM at a bank in Maine has dispensed $37,000 in cash to a man who requested $140. South Portland police say they responded to the TD Bank branch Thursday morning after getting a call from a woman who said a man was spending an unusual amount of time at the ATM she was waiting to use. Officers found the man stuffing cash into a shopping bag. The money was returned to the bank. Bank officials say they don't want to press charges, but police continue to investigate. A bank official describes the problem as a, quote, code error and says no customer accounts were affected. Look at that! Siri is potentially going to get a lot stronger as Apple has quietly acquired yet another speech recognition company, this time a well-known firm called Novorus. Founded in 2002 and spun out of the better-known Dragon Systems, Novorus is one of the early pioneers of modern voice recognition. Although Apple has made no official announcement of the purchase, TechCrunch has confirmed that the deal is done and was actually completed in 2013. Quote, one of the biggest differentiators about Novorus in terms of competitive landscape is that they operated in both the embedded and server space, and they also owned the core engine. So the benefit of this would be it would potentially allow or support Apple in baking in the voice recognition right inside the processing on the device as opposed to sending it out to the server. This could definitely speed up voice processing, although with the other effect of losing some of the processing power that you could get by processing that voice data on a server itself. Uh, there's been quite a number of rumors of Apple moving or working on moving away from Nuance, which was recently purchased. I'm going to say by Google, although that may be incorrect, but Nuance was recently purchased by another um, big tech company, and it may be better for Apple in the long run to produce its voice recognition in-house. That we have complete and utter freedom of speech uh, for the most part. For the most part. And it's great to see from the earlier story, a couple stories ago, um, new programming being built and it's also, or being created um, via these new networks like Xbox. But it is also great to see existing programming become more available on our devices. So Comedy Central has just recently taken this step. Rather than having a dozen show-specific iOS apps to follow your favorite Comedy Central shows, the network has finally bundled the content into a single app featuring full episodes for free. Much like Hulu and on-demand services through cable providers, the Comedy Central app will feature the latest episode of several shows from the network the day after it airs. 
with no cable subscription required. The list of free shows includes The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, The Colbert Report, South Park, At Midnight, and Original Digital Shorts. For cable subscribers, there's even more content available, including full seasons of new shows like Tosh.O and archived seasons of shows like Chappelle's Shows and Reno 911. So something for non-subscribers and even more data, more programming available for network subscribers. Nearly 90% of fast food workers allege wage theft is survey fines. The vast majority of fast food workers in the U.S. say they've been the victims of wage theft, according to a recent survey. Out of 1,088 respondents nationwide, 89% said they have been forced to do off-the-books work, been denied breaks, been refused overtime pay, or been placed in similarly unsavory circumstances. The same holds for 84% of McDonald's workers, 92% of Burger King employees, and 82% of Wendy's rank and file, according to the survey, which was conducted by Heart Research for the Low Pay is Not Okay campaign. The campaign is part of an effort to raise minimum wage for fast food workers to $15 an hour, and to push companies to let their workers unionize without retaliation. That people watch it, and then it's a thing. So, people watch it, and then it's a thing. So, AOL announced 16 new original series. AOL announced a broad range of programming during its presentation at the Digital Content New Front in Brooklyn. Recently, in total, the online company will debut 16 original series on its video channel, AOL On Network. The new series, mostly nonfiction, rely heavily on the audience's desire to see celebrities doing things besides acting, whether it's talking about their favorite movies or paying tribute to a loved one. The new series, which will premiere on AOL On Network throughout 2014, include... Making a scene with James Franco, in which Franco and other celebrities discuss their favorite movie scenes and then recreate the scene in an absurd yet loving way. Kevin Nealon's Laugh Lessons stars former SNL and the Weeds comedian as he and other stand-ups attempt to teach comedy to children. Inspired, featuring celebrities and other newsworthy types, recounting moments that inspired them. My Hero, a series of executive produced by Zoe Saldana, in which celebrities pay a surprise in-person tribute to people who changed their lives. Win-Win features famous athletes and successful entrepreneurs for off-the-cuff conversations. That's Racist, hosted by comedian Mike Epps, looks at the origins of offensive stereotypes. So much more documents the transition of punk rock singer Tom Gable to become the woman Laura Jane Grace. She also interviews other members of the often misunderstood transgender community. Follow Me looks at the real lives of modern digital media stars, taking viewers behind the Twitter accounts and YouTube channels. And several other of the new programs are listed here as well. And this story was in LA Times. So if you want to see that list, search for AOL new series and follow the link to the LA Times.
happened. Food poisoning is uh, too common of an occurrence in the U.S. and around the world as we fail to take enough care in the handling and preparation of our food. So you might not be surprised that there actually was a U.S. Food Safety Summit in Maryland in April at the Baltimore Convention Center. It included representatives from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and food companies such as McDonald's, Tyson Foods, and Con Agra Foods. What you might be a little bit more surprised at is what happened at the U.S. Food Safety Summit. At the U.S. Food Safety Summit, more than 100 attendees came down with suspected food poisoning. Most of those affected complained of diarrhea, the Maryland Department of Health and Mental Hygiene said in a statement. Local health officials have heard from about 400 of the 1,300 attendees and are at a loss as to the exact cause of their illness. So even at a place where you might think extra attention would be put on the topic because the topic is the reason why people are gathering, uh, even there, food poisoning can strike. They even have the guts. Sometimes stuff happens. Sometimes stuff happens, and one thing that happened not too long ago was nearly a million jars of peanut butter were dumped at a New Mexico landfill to expedite the sale of a bankrupt peanut processing plant that was at the heart of a 2012 salmonella outbreak and a nationwide recall. The, the peanut butter that was dumped wasn't tainted peanut butter, this was peanut butter that was refused um, at its destination. This from the this from bigstory.ap.org. Nearly a million jars of peanut butter were dumped at a New Mexico landfill to expedite the sale of a bankrupt peanut processing plant. Bankruptcy trustee Clark Cole said that he had no other choice after Costco Wholesale refused to take shipment of the Sunland Incorporated product and declined requests to let it be donated to food banks or repackaged or sold to brokers who provide food to institutions like prisons. We considered all options, Cole said. They didn't agree. Belinda Joy Pattinson, executive director of the Food Bank of Eastern New Mexico on Friday, called the dumping of the peanut, peanut butter horrendous. She said that as long as there was nothing wrong with the peanut butter, her operation would have found a way to store it, remove the labels, and distribute it to the people who depend on the food bank. Those trucks carrying it to the dump went right by the front door of my food bank, she said. It was like it would have it wasn't like it would have been out of the way. For it to just be deliberately thrown away is disappointing. Yeah, very disappointing. It's bordering on criminal. It's horrid. Or horrid. Hulu to finally let non-paying mobile users watch shows and ads, of course, from Consumers by Chris Moran. For years, consumers have been able to watch free TV content on Hulu on their computer screens. But if they wanted to check out most of this freely available content on their phones or tablets, they generally had to ante up for a paid 
Hulu Plus subscription. Today, in addition to some other new features for Hulu, the service announced it will begin making free content readily available to mobile users. This is a big step forward for Hulu, which had previously limited non-paying mobile users to clips of shows rather than the library of free content that is available to desktop users. Hulu is different from competitors like Netflix or Amazon Prime in that almost all of its content, even much of what's on Hulu Plus, is broken up by advertising breaks. This allows the company to make a number of shows available for streaming to anyone, but it also means Hulu was missing out on ad revenue from non-paying users who can't access these shows on their mobile devices. Android users will be the first to get access to free content when it rolls out this summer, followed by iOS users. So this is a really great announcement from Hulu that they will be expanding who can see, watch their shows on their mobile devices. Uh, I did recently sign up for Hulu Plus, recently meaning three months ago maybe, um, when we finally ended our Dish subscription and cut our cord there. Um, the the paid Hulu Plus subscription is decent, but it still shows advertising, which is a little bit frustrating when compared to something like Amazon Prime or Netflix, which doesn't have the most recent programming, but also doesn't interrupt their programming with advertising. So it will be great to see the regular Hulu service come to mobile devices and give another option for people to view that content. But it's this kind of stuff that drives me freaking crazy. This kind of stuff coming up now does drive me crazy as well. This is also from Consumers.com by Mary Beth Quirk. When you've got a system that allows the general public to air grievances, it's pretty much guaranteed that there will be some off-the-wall issues, or at least problems that seem to not be all that serious. The Toronto Public Library received a complaint asking for librarians to remove Dr. Seuss's Hop on Pop, claiming that it promotes violence against, well, pops. Dear old dad, father dearest, you get it. The complaint says the 1963 Seuss favorite, quote, encourages children to use violence against their fathers, according to the complaint. Whoever wrote it asked that the library should apologize to Toronto fathers and pay for any damages resulting from the book. That being said, the Materials Review Committee has made the decision to keep the book in the children's collection, saying that it's humorous, well-loved, and that it has appeared on many best-of children's book lists. And besides... Anyone who's actually read Hop on Pop, instead of rushing to make a frivolous complaint and waste everybody's time, would know at the end the book tells kids not to actually jump on Dad. A very important life lesson. For years, Macs have had the reputation of being less susceptible to malware than PCs, according to a new report that also holds true when it comes to iPhones. Research by Finnish security firm F-Secure 
looked at reports of mobile malware detected in the first quarter of 2014. Of the 277 new threats detected, they found that 275 were aimed at the Android platform, while only one targeted iPhones. The other was for Nokia's defunct Symbian software. For those keeping score at home, this means that 99% of mobile threats are aimed at Android. That number is increasing, too. The same three-month period in 2013, just 91% of new mobile malware was aimed at Google's mobile platform. iPhones, for their part, benefit from Apple's stricter security measures. The single instance of iOS malware detected by F-Secure was designed to target jailbroken iPhones, meaning that the majority of iPhone users are 100% safe from mobile malware. And a story from Engadget.com. Verizon fought the NSA's metadata collection program, but lost anyway. It looks like Verizon's concerns about government snooping go beyond publishing transparency reports, but also haven't had much of a tangible effect. <clears throat> the Washington Post understands through both a declassified ruling and sources that Big Red quietly challenged the constitutionality of the NSA's call metadata collection in January, only to be shot down by the Foreign Intelligence, Servants, Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court in March. The company had been hinging its case on Judge Richard Leon's non-final ruling that the NSA's surveillance is unconstitutional. FISC Judge Rosemary Collier, however, argued that Leon's opinion was unpersuasive. So Verizon taking a stand against the NSA metadata collection, but failing to impress the court and actually being ruled against in court. And also in court, Apple and Google were required to pay $324 million to settle a conspiracy lawsuit. This story from Reuters.com. Four major tech companies, including Apple and Google, have agreed to pay a total of $324 million to settle a lawsuit, accusing them of conspiring to hold down salaries in Silicon Valley, sources familiar with the deal said, just weeks before a high-profile trial had been scheduled to begin. Tech, <clears throat> tech workers filed a class action lawsuit against Apple Inc., Google Inc., Intel Inc., and Adobe Systems Inc. in 2011, alleging they conspired to refrain from soliciting one another's employees in order to avert a salary war. They plan to ask for $3 billion in damages at trial, according to court filings. That could have been tripled to $9 billion under antitrust Law. We live in a very different time now. And back to the state of Vermont. And once again, the topic of food. Vermont's House passed a bill that will make the state the first in the country to require labeling of foods that contain genetically modified organisms or GMOs. The bill passed with a 114 to 30 vote, reports the Burlington Free Press, and also makes it illegal for foods with GMOs to be labeled all natural or natural. And while Maine and Connecticut have their own GMO labeling bills, those have clauses that makes them inactive 
until surrounding states pass similar rules. Vermont's bill has no such clause and goes into effect July 1 of 2016. This law, new law in Vermont has already been, I don't know if the lawsuits have been filed yet, but certainly the, the announcements of lawsuits have been made um, with big, big companies and food processors lining up to fight against Vermont's new law to label GMOs. I fully support the labeling of, of uh, GMOs if they're present in food. I think that people buying food should know what is present in them and be able to make their own decisions whether they choose to go ahead and make that purchase or not. I see uh, no, no real harm in doing so. I see that I, I understand there'll be some costs incurred for by testing the foods um, to make sure they do not contain GMOs if they are not so labeled. But I feel that you know the the information to be put out in front of the public is much more important than whatever those costs might be to comply with the, the new law. Mark my words. Let's see. From Consumers.com by Laura Northrup. These fries are a little overcooked. In a Walmart parking lot in Maine on Tuesday evening, a tractor trailer carrying 40,000 pounds of frozen Burger King French fries caught fire, destroying the cargo, the truck, and the dreams of the fast food-loving people of New Jersey. The spuds were on their way from New Brunswick, Canada to New Jersey, where they would ultimately be served up in Burger King restaurants. The local fire chief told reporters that the vehicle's brakes appear to have overheated, causing the fire. I'm not kidding you. A Cleveland patrolman and five others were charged in a deadly 2012 car chase. This from NPR.org. Six police officers have been indicted in connection with a 2012 chase in Cleveland that resulted in the deaths of two unarmed suspects in a hail of gunfire. A grand jury returned indictments on two counts of manslaughter against patrol officer Michael Brelo. Five supervisors were in, indicted on misdemeanor charges of dereliction of duty. Cleveland.com says of the 2012 incident, more than 60 police cars joined the chase that reached speeds of more than 125 miles per hour after an officer reported hearing shots fired from the Chevy Malibu as it sped past the Justice Center. Authorities later said the sound was likely the older model car backfiring. The chase funneled into a parking lot at Heritage Middle School and soon a volley of gunfire began. The first officer to fire his gun told investigators that he thought the Malibu was about to strike him. Other officers mistakenly believed the car's occupants were firing at them. All 13 who fired their weapons told investigators they feared for their lives. So this is another crazy, insane um, use of 
of force by the police against, in this instance, unarmed, you know, unarmed, I almost said assailants, but they weren't even assailants. They, they, their crime, as described in what I have read, is failing to stop for a police officer and maybe endangering, endangering the lives of others by, by, you know, driving at speeds of over 100 miles per hour. Um, but being both unarmed, certainly once their vehicle was stopped, did not pose a direct threat to the officers who then fired, uh, let's see, fired how many shots? Uh, fired 137 shots were fired at this car, and zero shots were fired from the car. It's, it's insane that these types of things can happen. And, and I think it was on my last episode, on one of my recent episodes, there was a similar case in Florida. When I first read about this case, I thought I was reading a story about the same case. Um, but there was a case in Florida where that, that case was a little bit different. And one of the individuals in the car, I believe, was expected or known to have harmed a police officer in some way. Um, but hundreds and hundreds of, of bullets fired into a car in which the occupants were, were not armed. Really, really insane overuse of force by the police in these cases. I'm not finding any redeeming value in it. Back to Maine. Richmond Police Chief Scott McMaster tells the Kennebec Journal that the bird, the bird being a raven, has attacked three vehicles, causing $500 in damage in one case. One owner said he watched the bird land and see its reflection in a window before attacking. The bird damaged gaskets around the windshield and windows and the windshield wipers on at least three cars. One of the victims wants to make sure the raven attacks are, quote-unquote, Nevermore. Is this from the Huffington Post? No, from sfgate.com. Huffington Post Jr. McMaster advised the victims to contact the main warden service. The raven is not the only animal to attack a car in town in recent weeks. Last month, police had to deal with two goats that climbed on top of a car. Speaking of attacks, authorities in South Carolina say a man who was not in good humor. Is this Huffington Post? No. Again, sfgate.com. A man who was not in good humor smacked an ice cream truck driver with a fudge bar in a dispute over correct change after his daughter bought the frozen confection. The ice cream vendor told Rock Hill, South Carolina police, the man accused her of not giving his daughter correct change after a purchase. That's when the fudge bar was allegedly employed as a weapon. Police officers who responded to the call on Wednesday report they saw a red mark on the driver's arm. 
The driver gave officers a description of the man and the white truck he used for a getaway vehicle. The police report did not say whether he took the fudge bar with him. It's just bad. It is just bad. And it goes from bad to worse. A big rig overturned on a Delaware on-ramp a little while back, causing a public health scare. That's because the tractor-trailer was carrying an ungodly amount of bees. How many bees? 20 million bees. The 55-year-old truck driver and two passengers in their 20s suffered minor injuries in the crash. Officials also say they were stung 50 to 100 times each by the insects. The three men were taken to the hospital in stable condition. It is estimated that about 90% of the bees which were being transported to Maine. This this show is about Maine. This show, maybe I should not call this program unrelated things since so many of these stories have been related to Maine. The bees were being transported to Maine to pollinate blueberries. 90% of the bees were lost during the accident. Three bee handlers were called to the scene to use smoke and water to reclaim the insects. But according to one of the handlers, the bees were traumatized and, quote, pretty well upset. Anyone who approaches the scene without proper equipment is considered, quote, in severe danger. Oh, no. Brooklyn now has rival street artists. Story from uprocks.com. It all started when Gothamist posted Instagram user Tom Dixon's photo yesterday, which stated that some genius was bedazzling dog turds with gold glitter in his Bushwick neighborhood. Well, after that, a graffiti artist who goes by Gold Poo NYC came out of the woodwork because he's been painting dog poops gold like way before it was even cool, FYI. Gold Poo NYC spoke to Huffington Post about this scoundrel plagiarizing his life's work. I was surprised at first Gold Poo, whose own Instagram images of gold-covered poop are months older than Dixon's, told HuffPost, seeing how I've been doing this for just under a year straight and have gotten little to no attention. But the lack of publicity hasn't bothered Gold Poo. Sounds like it's bothering him a bit. Or, as he calls himself, the captain of this Gold Poo train. In fact, the recent press has prompted him to jump on Poop Art's new attention for his own outreach purposes, even though Dixon's Instagram is definitely not his work. Gold Poo uses spray paint, not glitter, and wasn't working in the DeKalb Avenue area on the date Dixon snapped his photo. Gold Poo NYC then went to reclaim his territory today, spray painting over the glittering turds with his trademarked gold spray paint. Yes, this is really happening. I'm not finding any redeeming value in it. A burst bakery pipe covers a home in flour, but bakers won't fork over dough to clean mess up. For years, an elderly New Jersey woman lived in peace next door to a bun baking factory, but that's all changed in the past year 
following two incidents that have left her property covered in flour and cornmeal and stuck her with the cleanup bill. The first incident occurred last August when the octogenarian homeowner noticed that her property had become covered in a white powdery substance. It was flour and looked like an early snowfall, she tells Bamboozled. It was covering the yard, the garage roof, the garden, and the entire yard next door. My windows and screens were covered. The bakery did send over some employees to hose down the house and yard, though the homeowner says some flowery patches remained. She contacted her insurance company but didn't file a claim because the baker had told the health department it would take care of the cleanup. However, she did have the insurer recommend a cleanup service, which she then contacted for an estimate. That service estimated the exterior cleanup of the home at $5,500, with another $725 estimate for cleaning affected the interior portions of her home and two air conditioning units. To remove and replace the landscaping that's contaminated by the explosion would take another $3,800, pushing the total over $10,000 for the full cleanup. And I missed a portion of the story, apologies. So these costs were related to the second incident, which happened in January when the woman was open, was woken up by the sound of a blast from the neighboring bakery. A pipe had apparently burst during the delivery of materials to the bakery, resulting her in her property being coated in a cornmeal and flour mixture. So those costs were related to cleaning up that cornmeal and flour mixture covering. So as of the time the story was written, she was still fighting to get reimbursed. I hope by this time that has happened. And here's a story about bees. Another story about bees. This uh, Inquisitor, this is from Inquisitor.com, I-N-Q-U-I-S-I-T-R dot com. The discoveries made by Harvard scientists could save the world, but only if action is taken to correct the problems studied. If honeybees die, the human race will likely soon follow. The pollinators, which provide the means for 70% of the food we eat to grow, have been abandoning their hives and becoming so lethargic that they do not have the energy to eat. Colony collapse disorder has become a worldwide problem. Honeybees have been dying off in record numbers since 2005. Harvard scientists have reportedly traced the honeybees' demise to the most widely used chemical insecticide ingredient. Approximately half of the bee colonies which had been exposed to the neonicotinoids, neonicotinoids died None of the bee colonies which were not exposed to chemicals and monitored during the study lost any bees. Monsanto's Roundup Ready and similar biotech products have long been blamed for the death spiral of honeybees. Chemical insecticides used in both the agricultural industry and in backyards across America typically contain neonicotinoids. The Environmental Protection Agency and the U.S. Department of Agriculture have long claimed that insecticides containing neonicotinoids are safe, but the Harvard study reportedly found otherwise, with it contributing significantly to the collapse of bee colonies. If you want a sign that humanity's still got it going on, 
this one might be it. From Consumers.com, what's a bunch of college roommates to do when it comes time to buy furniture? Going to school is expensive enough, so three students managed to score a $20 used couch at a thrift store. Good bargain. The couch was ugly and uncomfortable, and it just sort of sat there like the couch does. But one enterprising roommate decided to check out why it was so awfully lumpy. There's a zipper on the bottom, and he pulled out a bag. And we said, it's either drugs or money, and we freak out. It's a stack of hundreds and fifties, another roommate remembers. One envelope yielded $4,000, while the rest added up to more than $40,000. The roommates confessed to seeing visions of yachts and expensive trips dancing before their eyes while pulling out all the envelopes, but eventually found a deposit slip that changed everything. We were always pretty clear if we could find her and she was alive, it was her money, no matter what the circumstances, one roommate said of the name on the slip. When they managed to track down the money's owner, they found she's a 91-year-old widow with a recently broken hip who has a distrust for banks. Her kids had donated the couch while she was in the hospital and didn't realize it was flush with cash. She is no doubt relieved to have her cash back. I had made an error. Really bad, bad bumper choice. That's my error that I made, selecting that bumper between the last story and this story. Although I could say that I intended to do that, thinking of the children who donated that couch. Yeah, that's I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go with that. Really, really good bumper choice in between that last story and this story, as that clearly referred to the children who decided to donate that couch. I had made it there. There we go. We'll go with that. Another story from Inquisitor.com. Students suspended for refusing to stand for Pledge of Allegiance. Before I talk about this story. One of the reasons why I chose this story to read is I did the same thing when I was in high school. I was in high school in the 80s. Yes, I am really, really old. Okay, I'm not really, really old, at least when you get to be as old as me, which is mid-40s. Um, you feel like that isn't really, really old anymore. However, 15 years ago, this this would have been a pretty, pretty good old age. And something reminding me that I'm getting pretty old is my recent acquisition of glasses for reading, which uh, do a really great job of actually letting me see clearly anything that's within about two feet from my face. But I digress. So this uh, particular story, students suspended for refusing to stand for Pledge of Allegiance, kind of struck me pretty hard because I did refused to stand for the Pledge of Allegiance when I was in high school. I was not suspended for it. Um, I was not even disciplined for it whatsoever. But I was in high school in the 80s when Ronald Reagan was our president. When we bombed Libya with no, no provocation whatsoever, at least none reasonable for a country such as ours, 
um, to be provoked by a country such as Libya at the time. Um, we bombed Libya, and I chose at that time to not salute the flag and recite the Pledge of Allegiance. My homeroom teacher at the time um, asked me to stand, to which I declined, and he didn't persist too much. He persisted slightly, and I will not forget a, another person in my homeroom class who I never, never really interacted with um, stood up for me and said he doesn't need to, he doesn't have to stand if he doesn't want to uh she I, I don't remember what her name was um i do remember feeling like she was one of the more of the troublemakers in school um and was impressed by her being willing to stand up for my decision to not stand up so thank you person whose name i do not know uh, who, who stood up for me at that time. I appreciate it. So, on to the story. A Texas student was suspended for refusing to stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. Mason McCalick, age 15, said he was staging a silent protest against the United States government. Although his behavior was tolerated throughout the school year, he was eventually reported to the principal by a new teacher. According to Mason, the teacher demanded that he stand during the pledge. When he refused, she said, This is my classroom. You're going to stand. As he did not follow her instructions, he was sent to the principal's office. Mason said he was punished with an in-school suspension, which lasted two days. The teen was permitted to report to school during the suspension. However, he was not allowed to attend class. The principal reportedly warned the teen against future protests, as he will face more severe punishment. Mason explains why he refused to stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. Quote, I'm really tired of our government taking advantage of us. I don't agree with the NSA spying on us, and I don't agree with any of those internet laws. Those who oppose the teen's behavior argue that refusing to stand for the Pledge of Allegiance is the ultimate sign of disrespect towards veterans and our country. Although he was punished with the suspension, Mason said he will continue his silent protest by refusing to stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. I, let me see if this story, this story doesn't have an author's name. Uh, it is from Inquisitor.com. And this, this line near the end, I wish there were, well, there are some, some quotes, um, Resident Joe Castillo believes the teen's behavior was disrespectful. The soldiers are out there, they're doing their job, and he should stand up. You've got a lot of things here that a lot of people don't have. That's respect. That's freedom. So that's one quote referred to, perhaps, by that line. Those who oppose the teen's behavior argue that refusing to stand for the Pledge of Allegiance is the ultimate sign of disrespect towards veterans and our country. And I can't, I almost can't believe that stance. What, what are those people fighting for? Are, are, are the soldiers and, and airmen and, and seamen out there fighting so we can be forced to stand and recite the Pledge of Allegiance? I have no 
no objection to you feeling insulted and feeling disrespected at someone's action not to stand, that's fine. But to say that compelling him to stand or that standing to recite the Pledge of Allegiance is somehow supporting what those troops are, are doing, from my perspective, those troops are fighting if, if in fact, we're going to if, in fact, we're fighting for the right reasons, which I think is too often not the case, but if we are, in fact, fighting for the right reasons, I think that you will find that those people will, will readily and gladly confess that they are fighting for our freedom. What is our freedom? Our freedom is not to be compelled to recite the Pledge of Allegiance. Our freedom is to be free to choose whether or not we determine that we individually support and want to participate in that. I, I think every, every member of the armed forces should be respectful of that, of that decision to say, I fought hard for you to live in a free society that allows you to de decide what you want to do in this instance and not be, they can be offended and say, I think that you would respect me more by reciting the Pledge of Allegiance, but I disagree with that. I think that you're showing greater respect by not paying lip service to the freedom that they are supposedly fighting for, but by acting freely, whether that is offensive to somebody or not. Um, so kudos to Mason for exercising his freedom and making his choice in this situation. Cool. A story from WMUR.com. This is from a town I used to live in. Break-ins have been reported over the past several weeks. Multiple cars have been targeted and damaged. And it's all happening in the same neighborhood in North Conway, New Hampshire. No car suffered more damage than Terry Levitt's. I saw the radio had been pulled out and I thought, someone stole my radio, said Levitt. Throughout the North Conway neighborhood, reports of break-ins have inundated police. We experience this every year around this time, said Sergeant George Walker of the Conway Police. The bear is looking for food in cars by opening unlocked doors. Yes, the perpetrator has been determined to be a bear. Levitt's car was terrorized as the bear ripped apart the interior and smashed a window to get out. So several cars in this neighborhood have been ransacked or, or at least opened and searched for some tasty morsels by a neighborhood bear.
Wildlife, wildlife officials recommended homeowners keep bird feeders inside, maintain their garbage, keep food out of the car, and their doors locked. So, some good tips if you live in Bear Country. As I said, I did. I lived in North Carolina, New Hampshire for about seven or eight years. And in the house that I lived in, that I owned there, we had an enclosed front porch, which had some sliding windows for my entire you know time spent living there I would typically take my trash out of the kitchen and put it on that porch until trash day which I would then carry it out to the curb um, actually no we didn't have curbside pickup I would actually take that trash to the dump um, so that was my standard procedure. One day we went out and realized that something or someone had torn out our screen and opened up one of those sliding windows and climbed into our porch or gotten into our porch. We looked outside on the side of our house and saw a nice big paw print on the outside underneath the window and looking some more realized a bag of trash had disappeared. So yes, while living there, a bear tore out the screen, slid open the window, jumped into my enclosed front porch, grabbed a bag of trash, and then fled the scene. We saw no sign of the bag of trash after that point. It's very interesting when a wild animal the size of a bear De decides to climb inside the window of your house really gives you a, a different appreciation of where you live. We live in a very different time now. Back to New Jersey, a crowd of frightened shoppers trying to exit a department store after smoke seeped in from a nearby car fire knocked over a metal support frame leading to mistaken reports of gunshots and the evacuation of the upscale mall, authorities said. The panic at the Garden State Plaza in Paramus began shortly after 8 p.m. Saturday when a car caught fire in a parking lot. As smoke from the blaze entered the store, employees told customers to evacuate. The moving crowd knocked over a large metal display stanchion on the store's main level, causing a loud noise that many confused for gunshots. Another display set up fell moments later as a frightened crowd rushed out of the store. Authorities say several mall patrons suffered minor injuries during the exodus. The entire mall was evacuated after the reported gunshots. This is a mall that I have actually shopped in on more than one occasion. It's not very far from me at all. And... I did speak about this uh, previously on an earlier show because this mall is the the scene of past in the past November, a 20 year old man um, went into this mall and fired rifle shots inside the mall before taking his own life. story from the New York Times by Heather Murphy. 
During the harvest season, when exhausted workers spend seven days a week cutting sugarcane, the signs of illness were hard to spot at first. It was in the off-season, out on the baseball field, that some residents noticed a change. Base stealers were lethargic. Pitchers were losing their aim. In the evening, outfielders were burning up as if standing under the scorching sun of the day. Across Central America, a painful disease that affects the kidneys has killed at least 20,000 people over the past decade and has become the leading cause of death in hospitals among men in El Salvador. But the illness, often called chronic kidney disease of unknown causes, or CKDU, is so poorly understood that it still does not have a universally agreed-upon name. Theories vary drastically, saying a combination of possible factors, including heat stress, chronic dehydration, toxic chemicals, painkillers, sugar consumption, and even volcanic ash. Before each harvest, workers must take blood or urine tests that measure kidney function to determine whether they will be allowed to return to the fields. In preparation, some ingest concoctions of fresh tamarind juice and linseed oil, avoid the sun, and force themselves to rest. Others simply pray. Quote, when you're sick, they tell you you're done here, said Mr. Aguilera, who failed the test in 2001. They washed us away without any kind of helping hand. So this is a pretty, pretty long story about this disease and what it is, how it is impacting the sugarcane workers in Central America and what is being done about it and who is involved. So uh, really compelling that we find a disease hitting this many people, 20,000 people in the past decade, that so little is known about and so little has been done to try to, to resolve or cure or make sure that people aren't impacted by the causes of this particular disease. For the first time since the Carter administration, solar panels are helping provide electricity for the White House. Installation of solar panels on the White House roof giving the Executive Mansion a renewable source of 6.3 kilowatts of solar generation have been completed again recently. When Jimmy Carter was president in office, he did install solar panels on the White House roof, something that Ronald Reagan dismantled when he was in the Oval Office. So good to see those solar panels back on the White House roof and helping to provide some electricity for the White House. It's, I think, a good public display of support for renewable energy, even though in and of itself and by itself, it does not do a tremendous amount other than showing that strong public support. Oh, boy, howdy. Target is in the process of switching its sales floor staff away from the old PDA and LPDA systems they previously carried to Apple's iPod Touch. 
The new iPod Touch-based system is set to roll out to Target stores later this year, according to an internal newsletter the company sent out to employees. In the memo sent out to staff, Target explains that its old PDAs and LPDAs that our employees are currently using have, quote, reached the end of their lifespans, and they're running a crazy quilt of dozens of applications that have been patched together over the years. The company notes that its store operations team ran tests to find the best solution and ultimately settled on the iPod Touch. It's horrid. Mm, that's not horrid. That's actually pretty cool. A story from Reuters.com. A Colorado pilot who walked away unhurt after his single-engine plane crashed into a suburban Denver house had once owned the stricken dwelling in what police and the pilot's employer said on Tuesday appeared to be a mere coincidence. The pilot, 52-year-old Brian Viach, lost power while towing an advertising banner in his Piper Pawnee crop duster over a residential neighborhood in the town of North Glen on Monday and crashed into the rear of a two-story house. The impact ignited a fire and left a gaping hole in the back of the ranch-style residence with the tail of the plane protruding from the structure. Viach, who is also a firefighter in another jurisdiction, emerged from the wreck unscathed and grabbed a garden hose to help extinguish the flames. He was later taken to a hospital for observation as a precaution. This is not, not bizarre, but incredible that the pilot of the plane who just crashed his plane into the back of the house climbs out of the plane and then starts to fight the fire that that crash caused. This is beyond what the average person likely would do. Kind of reminds me of the diver who was bitten by a shark and who stitched up that bite and then went to the bar for some drinks before he ever went to the hospital. It's like people doing, people reacting in incredible ways to incredible circumstances. So really interesting. Not only did he crash his plane into the house he previously owned without actually realizing it at the time, um, he then climbed out of the wreckage and went and got the garden hose and started to fight the fire. Pretty incredible. But children will never know what that's like. For years, the U.S. government loudly warned the world that Chinese routers and other Internet devices posed a threat because they are built with backdoor surveillance functionality that gives the Chinese government the ability to spy on anyone using them. Yet, what the NSA's documents show is that Americans have been engaged in precisely the activity the U.S. accused the Chinese of doing. Hmm. Not a huge surprise. The drumbeat of American accusations against Chinese internet device manufacturers was unrelenting. In 2012, for example, a report from the House Intelligence Committee, headed by Mike Rogers, claimed that Huawei and ZTE, the top two Chinese telecommunications equipment companies, quote, may be violating United States laws and have, quote, not followed United States legal obligations or international standards of business behavior. The committee recommended that, quote, the United States should view with suspicion the continued penetration of U.S. telecommunications market 
by Chinese telecommunications companies. The constant accusations became such a burden that Ren Zhenfei, the 69-year-old founder and CEO of Huawei, announced in November 2013 that the company was abandoning the U.S. market. As Foreign Policy reported, Zhenfei told a French newspaper, quote, if Huawei gets in the middle of U.S.-China relations and causes problems, it's not worth it. A June 2010 report from the head of the NSA's Access and Target Development Department is shockingly explicit. The NSA routinely receives or intercepts routers, servers, and other computer network devices being exported from the U.S. before they are delivered to the international customers. The agency then implants backdoor surveillance tools, repackages the devices with a factory seal, and sends them on. The NSA thus gains access to entire networks and all their users, precisely what they accuse the Chinese of doing. So now we know how they knew or why they were suspect of these things potentially occurring, because they were actually doing them themselves. If you want a sign that humanity's still got it going on, that's not it.
So that will wrap up episode number 17 of Unrelated Things. Thank you all very much for tuning in and listening. I really appreciate it. You can reach Unrelated Things at unrelatedthings at gmail.com. And you can find out more at unrelatedthings.net. Thanks for listening. It's Unrelated Things.